At Creekside, we are also spending some time this summer uh, looking at the book of Psalms. Uh, It is a large book. There are many chapters to it, and we certainly do not plan on saying that we studied the entire Psalms this summer. We are only really scratching the surface of an amazing book. Um, So many of the songs that we have already sung as children of God take their inspiration from the words of the Psalms. And even today, the book of Psalms, for those who are gifted as song writers, they look to the Psalms for inspiration because the Psalms have a way of directing our hearts and our minds to something far greater than ourselves. They point us to the reality and the transcendence of our God, and that transcendent God calls us to himself. And the Psalms would say that God calls us even through creation. That creation can speak to us about the reality of God. And ultimately, God has called us to himself through Jesus who gave himself for us in order that we could become, as the Bible says, new creations, new people. There are many themes that run through the book of Psalms, but two of them that kind of flow throughout this book are the theme of God as our creator, creator of heaven and earth, and the theme of praise. And so often in the book of Psalms, those two themes, both creation and this idea that we are meant to praise our God, run hand in hand. Those things God has created have been made to declare his glory, to declare his majesty, and to speak of his divine presence. The Psalms declare, and I think some of the songs when we sing, How Great Thou Art, when you listen to the words of that song, they declare that a chorus of praise is actually being sung all around us, all the time. And so it maybe begs the question, as the song on the video says, how can you possibly say there is no God? When you look around you at all that God has created, how can you possibly fashion gods of your own? gods of wood, gods of stone. How can you fashion those with your own hands, gods that cannot speak, gods that cannot hear, yet somehow you're willing to bow down before them? How can you do that when you look at what God has created? And maybe in 2017, the question might be, how is it that we so easily have an inflated view of ourselves. God has made us just lower than the angels. And yet at times we want to put ourselves where only God 
intends to reign. So there's a chorus, there's a song being sung all around us. It's a song of praise. It's a song of unquestioning faith. And so if you ask me, well, Doug, are you simply talking about singing? And I would say, well, maybe when we gather, singing is one way of expressing that. But really, it's a chorus of deep, unquestioning faith. I'm going to talk about Psalms 19 a little bit, also about Psalms 100. I think they both convey this message that God has revealed himself to us all around us. Psalm 19 says this, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. So God is saying that those things that he has created actually speak to his presence and they speak to his divine mysterious reality in the life of everything he has created. They are more than just beautiful trees. They are more than just beautiful mountains. They speak praise unto our God. It says they have no speech. So they don't use language the same way you and I use language. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. The beauty of these voices is that they are not questioning voices. These are not voices of skeptics. These voices all around us simply declare the reality of God. Paul referred to this same truth in Romans 1 verse 20 when he said, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Well, that's probably true. Through everything God made, they can clearly see, and you would almost expect it to say his visible Qualities, but the verse says, through the things that God has made, we can see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. Eugene put that same verse this way. He said, by open your eyes, and there it is, by taking a long and thoughtful look at what God has created, People have always been able to see what their eyes as such can't see. Eternal power, for instance, and the mystery of his divine presence. About a week and a half ago, we spent two nights uh, in a provincial park called Champion Lakes. It's 
kind of halfway between Trail and Castlegar. A spectacular setting, about a 10-kilometer climb up the highway, off the highway. An environment boasting incredible variety of trees, including West Coast cedars and ferns that kind of reminded me of Chilliwack, where I grew up. Beautiful lakes framed by incredible mountains and dense forests. A place that I would say was rich in beauty, and the Psalms would say, that is also a place rich in praise unto our God. That God literally speaks to us through his creation, and creation speaks to us about God. The beauty of the speech that is going on all around us all the time is that these voices do not require discernment. They don't require testing. The Psalms would say we should simply stand in awe and join in. I'm going to suggest three human tendencies that at times may hinder us. And by us, I mean even the church, the people of God, from wholeheartedly joining in this chorus. And you may think of others, but um, I have three. And I think Psalms 19 speaks to them. I think Psalms 100 speaks to them. Number one, we tend to have an inflated view of self. And maybe if you don't like the word inflated, you might say a bit of a distorted view of self. Number two, and I think the Psalms is all over this one, we underestimate the power and the value of creation. Number three, at times it seems almost like the older we get, the more we like to fight against a childlike faith. In his books, Savoring and Experiencing Jesus, John Piper said this, we are all starved for the glory of God, not self. No one goes to the Grand Canyon to increase self-esteem. Why do we go? Because there is greater healing for the soul in beholding splendor than there is in beholding self. Indeed, what could be more ludicrous in a vast and glorious universe like this than a human being on a speck called earth standing in front of a mirror trying to find significance in his own self-image? And John then says, it is a great sadness that this is actually the gospel of the modern world. That life really is all about you. Perhaps the selfie. 
I'm not saying all selfies are bad, so don't jump on me too quickly. But perhaps the selfie is a good example of this preoccupation. So if you take that same analogy of the beauty of the Grand Canyon, it's kind of like saying, well, here I am, front and center, and yes, oh, by the way, behind me, you might notice the Grand Canyon. I am awesome. (laughs) It's interesting, a recent study by the University of Toronto found that selfie takers everywhere might be a bit too into themselves. Now, you may even wonder why you would need to actually research that, that it's actually self-evident. And the study showed, and this is a bit harsh, that people often perceive themselves as more attractive and more likable than others do. Yet many who complain of the sheer number of selfies that are posted on social media actually continue to post their own. And so in this article, what it was looking at, well, why would you do that then? It said, well, my selfies are fun and they're honest. Everyone else's are phony and narcissistic. (laughs) I think the Bible would say that we actually do not need encouragement to be self-centered. That in many ways... That is our default position. And the world happily feeds that mindset. That it's all about you. It's all about what you think will make you happy. It's interesting, Paul warned Timothy, I think this is in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. He warned Timothy that in the last days, and he wasn't talking about wars or rumors of wars or famines or all those other things which continue to happen and have happened ever since Jesus was on earth. He said this to Timothy, in the last days, people will be lovers of self and lovers of money presumably with which to love themselves more. We often seek to satisfy ourselves by focusing on ourselves. When the Bible would say that that preoccupation does not free us, it actually limits us, and often it will control us. Christian faith is actually about an entirely new, different perspective on life. It is a call, actually, to self-denial. You think, ooh, let's actually say that. And Jesus said, are you willing to deny yourself, take up your cross, whatever that is, The cross that God has given you is the life that you are living. And so we bear different crosses. 
Are you willing to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me? Paul said to the church in, I forget which book it is, but he said, and he warned them, you know what, do not think too highly of yourself. Instead, put the interests of others before yourself. The work of the Spirit of God in our lives is about renewing our minds. The work of the Spirit of God in our lives is about transforming us into the image of Jesus. And that transformation is a transformation towards self-denial. And we often get in the way of our own fulfillment. I think it's interesting that self-esteem, fulfillment, freedom, and even a sense of value is often most evident in people who have gotten over themselves and begun to nurture a concern and love for others. That should be a quality of the people of God. That we were actually created to make much of God, not the other way around. Going back to the Psalms, it's interesting that when we look around us, at all that God has made, all that God has created, the only question we should ask of our Creator is it, How is it, God, when I consider all that you have made, that you are even mindful of me and care for me? And yet he does. It's interesting that God has actually asked us to be caretakers over all that he has made. That God has entrusted to us the creation which he created, and we were asked to steward it, to take care of it. I would say this is an assignment that we, and I'll say mankind, struggles with. That so often greed trumps green space. And in many places in the world, greed will always trump the value of green space. It's interesting that I think increasingly city planners are realizing that giving priority to green space within a city actually creates a healthier city. That if you ask people about their pride in their city, Very often their pride will be a reflection of the quality of green space that surrounds them. And while they may not attach a spiritual reality to that, Psalms does. And so should we. Green space, wherever you see it, speaks to the glory of our God. I believe as children of God, we should have a strong environmental 
conscience. When we soak in the beauty of the physical world that God has created, we are not only soaking up the truth of God as our creator, we are soaking up the truth of God as our redeemer, God as our restorer, God our very present help in times of trouble. And that the creator of heaven and earth is also God our Father. The Psalms is such a beautiful affirmation of that truth. You might say creation gets this. Psalms talks about hills bursting into song, trees clapping their hands, oceans roaring, branches lifting their arms toward the heavens, rocks itching to cry out. Psalm 96, verse 11 and 12 said this, Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea and everything in it shout his praise. Let the fields and their crops burst out with joy. Let the trees of the forest rustle with praise. There is a song of praise that all creation is singing all around us with a childlike faith. Psalms 100 encourages us to join I will say, and some of you will recognize this as a line in a song, to join with all nature in manifold witness to the great faithfulness, the great love, and the great mercy of our God. Yet it's interesting that man, the crowning glory of creation is often so reluctant to acknowledge his creator. We, the clay, at times like to question the potter. We so easily at times harbor doubts and become a bit skeptical. At times we allow the wisdom of man or the current of culture to blur the reality of our God. At times we evaluate faith according to our own circumstances. We evaluate our faith based on our own welfare when we are actually created to make much of our God. I think as people of God, we need to learn to rest in our God and not wrestle with him. In a way, creation all around us rests in the reality of God, the creator. We need to learn how to rest in him. There's a song, and again, it's an old song. It says, turn your eyes toward Jesus. Turn your eyes toward God. Turn your eyes toward things that are bigger than yourself. 
Why? Because if you do, the things of earth will grow strangely dim. And the word strangely there is so powerful because we are automatically distracted by the things around us. And the song says, put your eyes on Jesus, put your eyes on the reality of God, and those things will suddenly grow strangely dim. I like it that the writer of that song didn't say they're going to go away. I would say he simply says they will find their rightful place. Because we will be looking at them, as the song said, in the light of his glory and in the light of his grace. So if creation day after day sings his praise and glorify God and they do so without voice and without hesitation, surely you and I made in the image of God, the crowning glory of all creation, we who have actually been given a voice should use it to praise and glorify our God in a childlike, unquestioning faith. Those people who penned the Psalms The Psalms really is a collection of prayers, it's a collection of poems, it's a collection of songs. Those people who penned those songs praised God in all of life. In the struggle, in the pain, in the loneliness, in the frustration as well as in the joy and in the health. David was unquestioning about his, I'll call it, freedom to bear his heart and soul before God, and even, you might say, make his complaints before God. And yet, so often, the end of every one of those psalms that starts out with God, where are you? ends up with the assurance of the presence of the living God. Paul understood what it meant to be a new creation. Paul, in his relationship to God through Jesus Christ, allowed him to say, I have learned to be content in whatever situation I find myself. Paul, who said, I actually counted an honor to share in the suffering of Jesus. Paul, who said, you know what? For me, to live is Christ. And if I was to die, I would count that as gain. Perspective is everything. We are new creations in Christ. Like the Psalms, David, others would say, you know what, you need to get your mind off yourself. You need to set your mind on the reality of God. And you will actually find freedom. And you will actually find life itself. 
Psalms 100 states pretty clearly, you know what? We did not speak this world into existence. We did not even speak ourselves into existence. For it is he that has made us, and not we ourselves. He is a potter, we are the clay. He is the good shepherd. We are the sheep of his pasture. He is the vine. We need to be attached to that vine. We need to be the branches. Because it is he that has made us, not we ourselves. And I think if we learn to rest in that truth and not wrestle with it, we will find life itself. So the psalm says we need to humble ourselves before God. We need to serve him with gladness. And by serving him with gladness, I think really that means we need to serve one another and the church. We need to come before him with singing as we have already done this morning. And that line, in great is thy faithfulness, captures, I think, the reality so well, where he says, we know we need to join with all nature in manifold witness to the great faithfulness, the great mercy, and the great love of our God. It's interesting, that song was um, written first as a poem, so in many ways, like many of the Psalms, uh, Thomas Chisholm wrote that as a poem, Uh, Thomas was a man who suffered ill health entirely through his life. So he was writing this not because that he had prospered, not because he had amazing health. He wrote this within his own weakness. And the man that actually turned it into a song, whose name I forget, prayed that he would actually do justice to the words of that poem. And I would think history probably has proven that God answered that prayer. And Thomas Chisholm said this, I must not fail to record here the unfailing faithfulness of a covenant-keeping God. God who keeps his promises. And that he has given me many wonderful displays of his providing care for which I am filled with astonishing gratefulness. Coming from a man whose life was full of challenges. That humble testimony mirrors the message of the Psalms. And as we continue this morning, we need to join that chorus. That chorus that is already singing of the faithfulness, the mercy, and the love of our God. The God who gave his only son, Jesus, so that we could become right with God and call him our father. That we could come into his presence boldly. And that he calls us his sons and his daughters. And that what lies ahead for us as children of God is an inheritance that no eye has seen, 
No ear has heard, and no mind has even imagined what lies ahead for those who persevere in their faith. I want to close by simply reading Psalm 100. And you might say, well, Doug, you really should have started with it. But I have spoken, I think, about the truth that is in this psalm, and I simply want to read it. And I ask you simply to think of what these words actually say. It says, shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who has made us, not we ourselves. We are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. So enter his gates with thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name, for the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting, and his faithfulness to all generations, including the generation in which we find ourselves today, the faithfulness of God is with us. This morning we're going to celebrate around the Lord's table as children of God. Um, Curtis may have some music as we kind of get ready. I simply want to say that before um, we join in as a church family um, at the Lord's table, I want to encourage you to simply take some quiet time with your God. Give him thanks for who he is. If there's something you feel you need to confess before God your Father, then quietly confess it. Speak to him about that before you come and partake. Or just simply rest in the reality of your God for a minute.